Proverbs chapter 10 this afternoon. Proverbs chapter 10, we'll read the whole chapter, but we began this last week and went to verse 16, so we'll pick up in verse 17 this afternoon. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 1, says, The Proverbs of Solomon, a wise son makes a father glad, but a foolish son is a grief to his mother. Ill-gotten gains do not profit, but righteousness delivers from death. The Lord will not allow the righteous to hunger, but he will reject the craving of the wicked. Poor is he who works with a negligent hand, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in summer is a son who acts wisely, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who acts shamefully. Blessings are on the head of the righteous, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. The memory of the righteous is blessed, but the name of the wicked will rot. The wise of heart will receive commands, but a babbling fool will be ruined. He who walks in integrity walks securely, but he who perverts his ways will be found out. He who winks the eye causes trouble, and a babbling fool will be ruined. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all transgressions. On the lips of the discerning wisdom is found, but a rod is for the back of him who lacks understanding. Wise men store up knowledge, but with the mouth of the foolish ruin is at hand. The rich man's wealth is his fortress. The ruin of the poor is their poverty. The wages of the righteous is life. The income of the wicked, punishment. He is on the path of life who heeds instruction. But he who ignores reproof goes astray. He who conceals hatred has lying lips. And he who spreads slander is a fool. When there are many words, transgression is unavoidable. But he who restrains his lips is wise. The tongue of the righteous is as choice silver. The heart of the wicked is worth little. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of understanding. It is the blessing of the Lord that makes rich, and he adds no sorrow to it. Doing wickedness is like sport to a fool, and so is wisdom to a man of understanding. What the wicked fears will come upon him, but the the desire of the righteous will be granted. When the whirlwind passes, the wicked is no more, but the righteous has an everlasting foundation. Like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to their eyes. So is the lazy one to those who send him. The fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be shortened. The hope of the righteous is gladness, but the expectation of the wicked perishes. The way of the Lord is a stronghold to the upright, but ruin to the workers of iniquity. The righteous will never be shaken, but the wicked will not dwell in the land. The mouth of the righteous flows with wisdom. But the perverted tongue will be cut off. The lips of the righteous bring forth what is acceptable. But the mouth of the wicked, what is perverted? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we open your word this afternoon, Lord, we do pray that you would teach us, Lord, about both the pathway of the righteous, Lord, and the path of the wicked. Lord, that you would make clear to us that those who walk in uprightness, Lord, that they have a stronghold, that, Lord, they are acceptable, Lord, that uh, nothing will cause them to stumble or fall, but that when we walk in the paths of sin, when the whirlwind comes, we will be no more. Lord, that we might hate sin and love and pursue righteousness. Lord, we pray that our desire, our pleasure in righteousness, Lord, would increase more and more throughout the time of our sojourning, Lord, that you would increase our desires for the things of God, Lord, that you would give to us a greater love for you and for your word, for your people and for doing that which is pleasing in your sight. And it is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Okay, well, we began this chapter last week where in this section, through much of the rest of the book of Proverbs, the the prophet is contrasting the life of the righteous and the life of the wicked in these pithy statements that he's making, uh, showing the one in contrast to the other, right? And showing also the end and the ruin that will come upon the wicked and the blessing and security that abounds for the righteous. And all of this is to give us wisdom, the knowledge of God that is necessary for salvation. Just as the Apostle Paul reminded Timothy that he had been acquainted with the sacred writings which were able to make him wise unto salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And this from his childhood, before the New Testament was written. When he had the Old Testament, well, 
Certainly included in those sacred writings is the book of Proverbs. And these Proverbs are given to make us wise unto salvation through faith in Christ Jesus, either to teach us the necessity of salvation or the fruit of salvation, right? How it is that we ought to live in response to what God has done for us, what it means to live a godly and a righteous life. And so that is what he has charted out in these middle chapters of the book of Proverbs, showing in many practical ways, in many various circumstances, the difference, the contrast between the righteous and the wicked. So we finished last time in verse 16. We'll pick up in verse 17 today. He says, He is on the path of life who heeds instruction, but he who ignores reproof goes astray. Here, one of the evidences that someone is on the path of life. He doesn't say that this puts you on the path of life. What puts a man on the path of life is the salvation of God, is the work of the Holy Spirit. The regeneration of the Spirit is what takes us out of the domain of darkness and puts us into the kingdom of Christ, into the kingdom of His Son. Right In our natural state, we're straying from the path. Right, We're on the broad road that leads to destruction, and it is the Holy Spirit of God who takes us off of that broad road and places us on the straight and narrow path. But what is the evidence? What is the manifestation that we truly are on the straight and narrow path? That we truly do belong to God? Well, he who is on the path of life is one who heeds instruction. He listens to the word of God. He increases in his wisdom, in his understanding, in his knowledge of God. He listens to God's word and he grows. He grows, he increases in that way. He heeds instruction. This is as it says in Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. In verses 16 to 18. Luke 8, 16 says, no one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a, over a container or puts it under a bed, but he puts it on a lampstand so that those who come in may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not become evident, nor anything secret that will be not known and come to light. So take care how you listen. For whoever has, to him more shall be given. And whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has, shall be taken away from him. The one who has will receive more. More will be given to him. Well, that's what he's talking about here. He heeds instruction, and as he heeds instruction, he gains more understanding, more knowledge, more righteousness, right? More uh, insight into the will of God. And so he's growing in those things. But the one who rejects it, who ignores reproof, goes astray. This is the pathway of the wicked. They do not listen to the word of God. They ignore the warnings of God, the reproof of God, because their heart is not in it. They have no love, no desire for righteousness, for godliness, for the kingdom of God. So they go astray when they hear the reproof of God. They find many excuses for why they do not have to obey the word of God. Jeremiah chapter 26, verses 1 to 5. Jeremiah 26, verse 1 says, in the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, the word came from the Lord, saying, Thus says the Lord, Stand in the court of the Lord's house and speak to all the cities of Judah who have come to worship in the Lord's house. All the words that I have commanded you to speak to them, do not omit a word. Perhaps they will listen, and everyone will turn from his evil way, that I may repent of the calamity which I am planning to do to them because of the evils of their deeds. And you will say to them, Thus says the Lord, if you will not listen to me to walk in my laws, which I have set before you to listen to the words of my servants, the prophets whom I have, who I have been sending to you again and again, but you have not listened. Then I will make this house like Shiloh in this city. I will make a curse to all the nations of the earth, right? If you listen, there will be blessing. But if you do not listen, then there will be judgment. There will be the curse of God upon you. And up to this point, what has been true of them? They're not listening. Right? They will not heed reproof. And so they will be destroyed. Ultimately, the judgment of God will come upon them. Verse 18. He who conceals hatred has lying lips. And he who spreads slander is a fool. Here, two types of person. Both of them, in their heart, have hatred. But this hatred of heart is manifested in different ways. In the one, his hatred of heart 
results in lying lips. He deceives his brother. He deceives this one so that he gives the impression of friendship, of camaraderie, right, of companionship. He's lying to him. He's flattering him. Inside, he hates him, and he's devising ways to destroy him. But with his lips, he flatters him in order to get his guard down. That way, he can get the best of him. So he conceals his hatred with flattery, with lying lips. An example of this would be 2 Samuel 13. 2 Samuel chapter 13, Solomon concealed the hatred that he had for his brother, Ammon, with lying lips until an opportune time came for him to act upon and manifest what was really in his heart. 2 Samuel 13, 20. Said, then Absalom, her brother, said to her, Has Ammon, your brother, been with you? But now keep silent, my sister. He is your brother. Do not take this matter to heart. So Tamar remained and was desolate in her brother Absalom's house. Now when King David heard of all these matters, he was very angry. But Absalom did not speak to Ammon, either good or bad. For Absalom hated Ammon because he had violated his sister Tamar. Now it came about two full years that Absalom had sheep shears in Belhazor, which is near Ephraim, and Absalom invited all the king's sons. Absalom came to the king and said, Behold now, your servant has sheep shears. Please let the king and his servants go with your servants. But the king said to Absalom, No, my son, we should not all go, for we will be burdensome to you. Although he urged him, he would not go, but blessed him. Then Absalom said, If not, please let my brother Amnon go with us. And the king said to him, Why should he go with you? But when Absalom urged him, he let Amnon and all the king's sons go with him. Absalom commanded his servant, saying, See now, when Amnon's heart is merry with wine, and when I say to you, Strike Amnon, then put him to death. Do not fear, have I not commanded you? Be courageous and be valiant. The servants of Absalom did to Amnon just as Absalom had commanded. Then all the king's sons arose, and each mounted his mule and fled. So there, for several years, Absalom concealed in his heart the hatred he had for his brother. And with lying lips, he deceived his own father David to convince him to let Amnon come to this feast, to this gathering, with the purpose of striking him down, of putting him to death. Right, that is what is happening here. He who has hatred, right, has lying lips. He conceals hatred. But this one who spreads slander is a fool. Here, his hatred is not concealed. His hatred is manifested in his slander. He's slandering the good name of his neighbor. Right, what is more valuable than a good reputation? Than a good name, right, if it's true and legitimate. Not a false reputation, but if someone is a, a godly person and they're living a godly life, then their good name is very valuable. But when someone slanders by spreading salacious rumors, right, falsehoods and lies about another person that are not true in order to ruin their reputation, in order to ruin the opinion of other men of this person, then that is an expression of hatred. It is evil. It is a violation of the Eighth Commandment that you should not bear false witness against your brother, right, because you are lying about him. Slander is done openly, loudly, to the ruin of the person. Lying lips is done secretly and inwardly, but for the ruin of the person. In both cases, it ultimately ends in the ruin of the person. Verse 19. When there are many words, transgression is unavoidable, but he who restrains his lips is wise. Here, the contrast between the righteous and the wicked. Right? A wicked person, a foolish person, is always talking. He's a babbling fool. He's always got to say what's on his mind. Right? And that's not a characteristic of godliness, right? of virtue, to be one who always has to speak up and say what's on our mind, to give our opinion, to give our thoughts on every single matter all the time. Not that we should never talk, and not that we shouldn't have conversations, and they should be two-way streets. But you know the people that it's a 99%. 99% them talking and 1% you. Because they are the fount of wisdom, they know everything, and we all need to sit there and listen to them, and they're going to help us out to figure everything out. Well, when people are like this, or even when they're just loudmouths and blabbermouths all the time, eventually they're going to say something with their mouth that is a transgression, right? Because it's very difficult to not sin with our lips. 
The lips are a great danger. The tongue is a great danger, right? It is set on fire by hell itself. So a person who is given to talking all the time, it is unavoidable that eventually they're going to say something, whether it be intentionally, whether it be carelessly, that they shouldn't say. Transgression will be unavoidable. And this is the great danger. Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12, verse 36. Matthew 12, 36 says, I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. Every careless word, even careless words, when we're not even thinking about it, we will give an account of it on the day of judgment. And how many carelessly, offhandedly, say things that are contrary to the word of God. And if we don't know, then it's better to keep quiet, to be silent so that we do not sin with our tongue. James chapter 3, verse 2 says, We all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. We stumble in many ways, he says. But one of the ways, a particular way, a common way, that men stumble is in what he says. And anyone who has perfect mastery over his lips is a perfect man. Is a perfect man, meaning in this life, this is not going to be the case. So we must be very careful. We must be very, very careful with our words and what we say. Verse 20, the tongue of the righteous is as choice silver. The heart of the wicked is worth little. Here, after giving the warning about many words, he doesn't want us to conclude that, well, I should just be a mute. I'll never say anything, and that way I never sing with my mouth. Because there is a place to speak, and there is a place to use our words to do what is good. And here, when the righteousness of God, right, when the word of God, when the thoughts of God, the mind of God is on our tongue, then it is choice silver. It is beneficial. It brings wealth to people, spiritual wealth to them, right? And it is a valuable item. So the tongue, though the tongue can be a member that is used for sin, the problem isn't the tongue. The problem is the heart. But when the heart is filled with the word of God, so that the heart has mastery over the tongue, the spirit of God has mastery over the tongue, then that member that was used for sin is now redeemed and is going to be used for righteousness. That's the way that we should use our members. Use them for the sake of righteousness, according to Romans chapter 6. Well, what is the righteous use of the tongue? To speak the word of God, right? To speak the oracles of God, to teach people what God's will is, and to say only what is pure and truthful and good, but not to speak carelessly, not to speak vainly, not to speak about sin and those things that are evil. No lies should be on there. We shouldn't be spouting those things. And when that is the case, the tongue is choice silver. But in contrast, the heart of the wicked is worth little. The heart of the wicked is worthless. It's useless, right? It's of no good, no good at all. Now of the two, the tongue and the heart, which is the greater component? The heart or the tongue? Well, the heart is the greater component, right? Because it is out of the heart that bring and flow the issues of life. It is out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. Roman, or Romans, uh, Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 4. Still have Romans on the mind. Right? Romans on the mind. Proverbs 4.23 says, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Watch over your heart, he says, with all diligence. Right From the heart flow the springs of life. Not from the tongue flow the springs of life, but from the heart. And from the heart flows the tongue. So of the two, the heart is the greater component. Well, which is more valuable? The tongue of the righteous or the heart of the wicked? Well, here, the tongue of the righteous is choice silver, but the heart of the wicked is completely and utterly worthless and useless. And if his heart is worthless, what does that say about his tongue? It's also useless. He's unfit for anything that is good and proper at the very core of his being where the springs of life flow from he is a worthless and a wicked man so what will be true of all of his life it's of no account no value at all 
before God, no account in value to the people of God. 21. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of understanding. The lips of the righteous feed many. Right, feed many. He means it in the spiritual sense. Because the righteous man with his lips is speaking the word of God. And when the word of God is proclaimed to us, then Christ is feeding us from his word. He's giving nourishment to his sheep, right? Feeding them in this way. Jeremiah chapter 3. Jeremiah 3, 15 to 18. Jeremiah 3, 15. says, Then I will give you shepherds after my own heart, who will feed you on knowledge and understanding. It shall be in those days when you are multiplied and increase in the land, declares the Lord. They will no longer say, The ark of the covenant of the Lord. And it will not come to mind, nor will they remember it, nor will they miss it, nor will it be made again. At that time they will call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord, and all the nations will gather to it, to Jerusalem, for the name of the Lord. Nor will they walk any more after the stubbornness of their evil heart. In those days the house of Judah will walk with the house of Israel. They will come together from the land of the north to the land that I gave to your fathers as an inheritance. Here he says that he will give them shepherds after his own heart. And what will those shepherds do to the people, to the flock? They will feed them knowledge and understanding. And they do this through their words, through what they say, what they teach, the preaching that takes place through the word of Christ. And that's what he means here, that the lips of the righteous feed many. Many people benefit and many people are fed spiritually when the word of Christ is on the lips of the minister, of the teacher of the word of God, and it is a benefit to many people. Isn't this what Jesus told Peter at the end of John in John chapter 21, verses 15 to 17, when he asked him, Peter, do you love me? Right, Simon, do you love me? And then he told him, tend my lambs or feed my sheep. And he told him that three times. This is what you need to do. This is how you will show your love for me is by feeding and tending to my sheep. And what was he to feed them? Well, what do the people of God need? They need the nourishment from the word of Christ. They need spiritual bread in order to be fed. And when one is committed to that, he is feeding many people, right? Many people who are hearing and benefiting from that. That should be true of the minister in the church. He should be preaching the word of God so that he is feeding many people, giving nourishment to their souls. But it also should be true in the home with the father. The father should be teaching his wife and his children the word of God so that he is feeding them. And then the mother should be teaching the children as well. And then as we go to and fro and we're interacting, we should all be teaching one another because we should be talking about the things of God to one another. And even out in the world, when we come across people who are willing to listen, we should teach them the word of God. So whoever we come across, we should be feeding them the word of God. We should feed many people. In contrast, fools. Fools die for lack of understanding. The fool dies because he has no understanding. He doesn't want the word of God. He doesn't want the spiritual nourishment of the word of Christ. He doesn't want to live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. But this is the only source of spiritual nourishment. And if he rejects that, he's going to die because he has no understanding, none at all. This is as it says in Hosea chapter 4, verse 6. My people perish, right, because of lack of understanding. The people have no understanding because the ministers, their shepherds, they're not feeding them. They're not giving them the word of God. And as a result, the people are starving spiritually. They're starving spiritually. This was happening in the days of Christ the scribes and Pharisees, who were supposed to teach the people, they were forbidding them from entering the kingdom of God. They themselves weren't entering, and they were forbidding everyone else from entering into the kingdom of God. Verse 22. It is the blessing of the Lord that makes rich, and he adds no sorrow to it. It is the blessing of the Lord that makes rich. So riches in and of themselves are not evil. Right? This is commonly believed many times in the church, in society as well, especially amongst the communists. The communists think people shouldn't be rich except for them. Right, So that's what they want. But riches are not in and of themselves evil. 
nor are they a sign of the curse of God. They can be if a person is not using or obtaining them through sinful ways, but here he's not talking about obtaining riches through sin, but rather it is through the blessing of the Lord that God can and does bless men with material prosperity, with riches in this life. We remember this verse together with Proverbs chapter 10, verse 4. 10.4 says, Poor is he who works with a negligent hand, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. So we have to ask, well, which one is it? Is it diligent hands that make rich? Or is it the blessing of the Lord that makes rich? And what is the answer? It's both. Both of them together. Ultimately, it comes from the blessing of the Lord. But the means God ordains for the person to obtain it with his blessing is diligent hands. That doesn't mean that everyone with diligent hands is going to obtain riches. But there are some who are diligent, who are hard workers, who are wise in the way that they use their money. And as a result, God blesses them with riches. With riches from the Lord. And this is not a sin. It does not mean that they're greedy and that they are evil people. An example of a rich person who obtained riches from the blessing of the Lord, but also through diligent hands, would be Genesis chapter 24, verse 35. This is of Abraham. And we know that Abraham, being a righteous man, was not a lazy man. He wasn't a thief. He wasn't robbing and pilfering people in order to obtain riches. He was a hard, diligent worker, but also he ultimately realized that it was from the blessing of God that he had obtained these riches. And this is what his servant says when he is speaking to uh, Laban and when he's there to obtain a wife for Isaac. Gen uh, Genesis 24, 35 says, The Lord has greatly blessed my master so that he has become rich and has given him flocks and herds and silver and gold and servants and maids and camels and donkeys. So there, he understood the servant, and who would have taught the servant this but Abraham, teaching him where the ultimate source of blessing comes from, that his master Abraham had become rich. And this was the result of the Lord blessing him. God blessed him. So, working hard, being diligent, and God's blessing can result in riches. Though it's not guaranteed. It's not guaranteed. Right? We need to be diligent in our hands. That is an expectation and a rule for all people. But then the obtaining of riches ultimately depends on the blessing of God. He may give it to one, but he may not give it to another. He also may give it to one for a moment in time, and then he may take it away from that one according to his will. An example of this would be Job. Job was very wealthy. God took all of it away, and then he gave it all back, and even more. So he went from riches to poverty to riches, all dependent on the will of God. And when riches are obtained, not through sin, but through righteous means and through the blessing of the Lord, then what is the result? He adds no sorrow to it. There's no sorrow because his conscience isn't being tormented because he obtained his riches by fraud. He obtained it by theft. He's not doing that, right? He obtained it through honest means. So he has a clean conscience and he has no sorrow in the possession of his riches, nor in the use of his riches. He uses it gladly and joyfully. He's not anxious about it. He knows that it comes from the Lord. So he's not worried about it. If it goes away, he understands the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And then he uses it for the glory of God, for the good of his family. He uses it to bless his neighbor, to enjoy his life. Right? This is the way that he is. There's no sorrow in the way that he uses it, he uses it because he's using it in a lawful way before God. And this is the way that we should be in the acquiring of our estate, our possessions, in the use of them, the way they're dispersed. We should do it with a right attitude and according to the will of God. And then there's no reason for us to be guilty, to have sorrow with what God has given us, if we are understanding it rightly. Verse 23. Doing wickedness is like sport to a fool. And so is wisdom to a man of understanding. 
Doing wickedness is like sport to a fool. Right? He gets pleasure out of it. There's no necessity that's driving him to do it. He's just doing it for the sheer enjoyment of it. And this is how many people are with mischief, with evil, with sin. Right? There are people who will steal, not because they need to, but they just do it because they want to, because they get the fun out of it. It's, it's thrilling to them. Or they'll go and they'll uh, uh, jump someone and beat him up. Right? Not because the person did anything to them to offend them. There's no just reason for them to do it. They're just doing it because they like to cause trouble. Right? They're troublemakers, and this is what they want to do. There are people that are like this, and this is what is true of the wicked. Right? They commit sin out of sport. Right? It's like sport to them. It's fun to them. They get pleasure in it. It's like a pastime for them. Like playing uh, basketball or playing uh, baseball that someone might go out and, and play on the weekend. This is the way that they are. It's just a pastime for them to do so. And it's not necessary. Job chapter 28. Job chapter 28. This in contrast to the righteous man who for him doing what is wise and just in the sight of God, that is what he gets pleasure out of. That's what he enjoys doing in his pastime is the will of God. Job 28, 28. And to man he said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil, that is understanding. Right? Departing from evil, that is the understanding of God. And for the righteous man, that is what his pleasure is in. That's what he enjoys doing, is doing the will of God, in contrast to the wicked man who enjoys committing sin. Right? This is the difference between the two. 24. What the wicked fears will come upon him, but the desire of the righteous will be granted. What the wicked fears will come upon him. Well, what does the wicked fear? Though they won't say that they fear it, though they seek to suppress it, they don't want to talk about it, but what does every man fear? They fear death and the day of judgment. And what the wicked man fears, it is going to come upon him because of his sin. This is what men are trying to suppress in unrighteousness. They don't want to admit it, but it is on their mind all the time. That's why... They rant and rave against us when we are preaching about the day of judgment. Even though they say they don't believe in it. Well, if you don't believe in it, why do you care if I'm talking about it? Just say, well, he's crazy, right? Who is this crazy madman? Right? Do we get upset when there's someone talking about Martians and aliens that came and visited them? We just say, this guy's insane. He's a lunatic. Put him in the crazy house. It doesn't bother us. But why do they get so enraged? when they hear about the Day of Judgment. Because deep down, they know that it's true. They know that it's coming for them, and they've tried to suppress it, they've tried to put it out of their mind, but now you're bringing it up to them again, and it's pricking their conscience. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. And then verse 32. Though they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. They know the ordinance of God. They know it. Nature is telling them. Their conscience is telling them. That those who do these things deserve to die. This is what they fear. But they suppress it. They suppress it. However, as much as they want to suppress it, what's going to happen? It's coming for them whether they like it or not. Whether they believe in it or not. Whether they say it and open it, uh, admit it openly or not. The day of judgment is coming. So what they fear will come upon them. It is appointed unto a man to die. And then after that comes the judgment. But the desires of the righteous, in contrast, will be granted. What do the righteous desire? Salvation. Full and final salvation. Eternal life. 
to be made perfectly righteous, to be freed from our sin, to see Christ face to face, a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. This is the hope that we have if we are in Christ. This is the hope, the desires of the righteous, to see him as he is, and God will grant that to us. So what they fear is going to come upon them, and what we desire and want is going to come upon us. To them, it will come to their ruin. To us, it will come for our blessing. 25. When the whirlwind passes, the wicked is no more, but the righteous has an everlasting foundation. The whirlwind. When the whirlwind passes, this is the judgment of God. When the judgment of God comes upon the wicked and upon the righteous, what happens to the wicked in contrast to the righteous? The wicked is no more, but the righteous man has an everlasting foundation. An example of this would be Noah. When the storm of judgment came on the world, the wicked, after that flood, they were no more. They couldn't be found. But what about Noah? He was there. He had a stronghold. He had a foundation, a secure foundation. And that foundation that brought him safely through the flood was an emblem or a symbol of eternal foundation, who is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 27. This is what Jesus says at the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew seven twenty four. Everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and slammed against that house. Yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and slammed against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Isn't that the same thing being taught in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 25? The whirlwind comes, the wicked are no more, their house falls to the ground, but the righteous have an everlasting foundation. When the whirlwind blows on them, they are left standing. They are left standing on the day of judgment. 26. Like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the lazy one to those who sin him. Vinegar to the teeth is not pleasant, right? It is nasty. It causes your face to squirm up. You know, you have that disgusting look on your face. No one likes it, right? Vinegar on the teeth or smoke to the eyes, which is very annoying, right? It hurts. It, it causes your eyes to water, to get red, to get scratchy. No one enjoys or likes those things. So what these things are to the body is what a lazy man is to the one who sent him. The one who sent him is his master. The one who has charged him to do this job and to do it in a timely manner and to do what he has asked him to do. And to do it well, whether that be the master to the slave, whether that be the boss to his employee, whether that be the father to the children, right? The mother to the children who have them go do some task, but they don't do it in a thorough way. They're lazy in the way that they do it. And doesn't that bring ire and doesn't that bring disgust to the one who sent them when they see how slothful they are, how lazy, they're not diligent in the things that they are doing. Well, we don't want to be like that, do we? We don't want that to be like that to our parents, to our bosses, to be like vinegar in their teeth, like smoke in their eyes. So don't be lazy. Instead, be diligent. Do what they tell you to do. Do it in a timely manner. Do it thoroughly. Do it the way that it ought to be done. And then instead of being disgusting to them like vinegar, you'll be sweet to them. They'll love you and they'll give you more tasks. They'll give you more responsibilities. It will commend your faith to them, right? They'll see the difference between the way that you work in the way that others work. And isn't it also true that even many unbelievers are not lazy? There are even many unbelievers who are hard workers and diligent. So how can unbelievers work harder than us? How can they be less lazy than we are? That shouldn't be the case at all. So we should be very diligent and very hard workers. Matthew twenty-five twenty-six. the parable of the talents the one was a wicked and a lazy servant, and he brought disgust to his master. 25, 26, Matthew 25, 26. But his master answered and said to him, You wicked, lazy slave, you knew that I reap where I did not sow, and gather where I scattered no seed. 
He was a wicked and a lazy slave. And he was like vinegar to the teeth of his master or smoke to his eyes. And he received the judgments of God. 27. The fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be shortened. The fear of the Lord prolongs life. Prolongs life in two ways. In the first sense, it prolongs our life now in this present world, though it's not guaranteed. There are those who fear God, who have a short life, whose days are cut off, and who die prematurely. So it is no guarantee that if we live a godly life, we will have a prolonged life. An example of this would be righteous Stephen, who died prematurely a violent death at the hands of wicked men, though he himself was not a wicked man. He was a godly and a righteous man. But generally speaking, it is true that those who live a godly and an upright life, they have a prolonged life because they're not doing things that are detrimental to their health, to their body, to their well-being. They're living a sensible life. They're not drunkards, so they're not destroying their liver. They're not doing drugs, so they're not going to walk into oncoming traffic in some uh, stupor. right? They're not jumping off of buildings. They're not doing those kinds of things. Driving like maniacs down the road, but they're living a sensible life. And many times that will lead to a prolonged life, that we will have a long life in this present world. Such as it says in Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Verses 1 to 3 in regards to children obeying their parents. Ephesians 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. So there, the promise is that you will live a long life on this earth if you are obedient to your parents. The promise is connected with the commandment in order to spur us and to motivate us to follow it, to do what it says. Now again, there is not a guarantee. It all depends upon the will of God, but that promise is set before us as something that is good, as something to aspire for. And we ought to aspire to live a righteous life so that our days will be prolonged. Now ultimately, spiritually, it is a guarantee that if we are righteous, Our days will be prolonged for all eternity. We will inherit the kingdom of God and we will have eternal life with God that will never come to an end. So ultimately, it must refer to eternal spiritual blessings. But then in contrast, the years of the wicked will be shortened. The wicked will have a short life. Now again, this doesn't mean that all of the wicked will die prematurely. But there are many examples in many cases where wicked men do die prematurely, right? Because of their sin. They die in a way that's miserable and premature because of their sin. It says in Psalm 55, uh, 55, 23, it says, But you, O God, will bring them down to the pit of destruction. Men of bloodshed and deceit will not live out half their days, but I will trust in you. Men of bloodshed, men of deceit, will not live out half their days. Didn't we read earlier about Absalom? And wasn't he a man of bloodshed and deceit? And what happened to him? Did he live out half of his days? He died prematurely. Right? He came to a violent end because he himself was a violent man. And this is the way it is. When people live wicked, sinful lives, many times they die prematurely. But even if they do live a long life, what's going to happen to them on the day of judgment? They're going to die for all eternity and they will go to the lake of fire. 28. The hope of the righteous is gladness, but the expectation of the wicked perishes. The hope of the righteous is gladness. The hope that the righteous man has makes him glad in heart. It gives him great joy when he thinks about what awaits him. Right? And in this hope we are saved. For hope that is seen is not hope, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. It says in Romans chapter 8. And what is the hope that we are longing for? It is the redemption of our bodies. That is the hope in which we are saved. The full final redemption of our body and soul and to be with the Lord forever. And that hope is not a vain hope. 
It is not hope built upon a lie. It is a true and living hope that we have before us and it brings gladness because we know that in due time, God will give to us what we hope for, what it is that we long for. In contrast to the wicked, his expectation will perish. He also has a hope that's called an expectation here. It's a false hope. What he expects in the life to come, he's not going to get. And what do all wicked men expect in the life to come? They're all going to go to heaven, right? Isn't that what the song says when we all get to heaven? What a day of rejoicing that will be. That's what many people think. We're all going to make it to heaven, right? It's all going to be all right. We're all going to be there. All of my family, all of my friends, I'm going to make it because I'm a good person. But I'm a good person. My good outweighs my bad. So we're all going to make it there one day. Have you ever been to a funeral of someone who went to hell? No, everyone goes to heaven. This is what many people believe. But the wicked person who has this expectation, they're going to be sorely disappointed on the day of judgment because their expectation is going to perish. Deuteronomy 29 warns us about having this expectation because it will be frustrated by God. Deuteronomy 29, verse uh, 19, says, It shall be when he hears the words of this curse that he will boast, saying, I have peace, though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart in order to destroy the watered land with the dry. Here, this man who is walking in the stubbornness of his heart Yet he says, I have peace. That's his expectation, is to have peace, though he's walking in stubbornness. But will he have peace on the day of judgment? No, because there is no peace for the wicked. He will be disappointed on the day. 29 and 30. The way of the Lord is a stronghold to the upright, but ruin to the workers of iniquity. The righteous will never be shaken, but the wicked will not dwell in the land. The way of the Lord is a stronghold to the upright. Right? When he's walking in the path of righteousness, when he's submitting his life to the will of God, it is a stronghold for him. Right? It is a reminder to him. It's a confirmation to him of his salvation, that he belongs to Christ and that he will be saved. And as a result, he will never be shaken because his life is built upon the solid rock who is Jesus Christ. But... The way of the Lord is ruin for the workers of iniquity, and they will not dwell in the land. The way of the Lord testifies against them that their deeds are evil and that they are destined for the lake of fire. So the way of the Lord for the one proves the reality of his salvation, for the other proves the reality of his condemnation and what he will get on the day of judgment. This is the same as Psalm 1. In Psalm 1, Verses 5 and 6, it says, The wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. One will perish, and one will be saved. Then verses 31 and 32. The mouth of the righteous flows with wisdom, but the perverted tongue will be cut out. The lips of the righteous bring forth what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked, what is perverted? Here, the contrast between the righteous and the wicked, going back to their mouth, to their lips, to what they say and what they speak. The mouth of the righteous flows with wisdom. Wisdom is constantly flowing out of his mouth in that he understands and knows he's acquainted with the will of God, with the word of God, and this is what he's talking about. It's on his mouth all the time. He brings forth out of his lips what is acceptable. Acceptable to whom? To God, right? Acceptable in the sight of God and good for men. But the perverted tongue will be cut out. The one who has a perverted, crooked tongue, filled with perversions, filled with lies, filled with deceit, filled with sin, his tongue will be cut out because his mouth is perverted. It's perverted in the things that he says. Again, in Matthew 12, 
Matthew 12, 33 to 37, says, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man brings out of his good treasure what is good. The evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an account for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. So our words, our mouth, our lips, however we want to say it, will either justify us or condemn us. Not as the source of our justification, that is Jesus Christ alone, but as the evidence, the evidence, the manifestation of whether we are in Christ or whether we are out of Christ. It is our words. So we must be careful how we use them. And as children of God, we profess to be children of God, then we need to manifest that in our words. And what we say, we should flow wisdom out of our mouth. So may that be true of us this week. May our whole life, our mind, our mouth, every part of our being be filled with the word of Christ. And then live according to that. Live according to that and manifest these truths, these, this righteousness, daily in the way that we live, in the way that we talk, in our home, in our workplace, wherever we go, wherever we meet and we're with people. Let us have a mouth that flows with the very wisdom of God. All right, let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word and how it so clearly and distinctly, Lord, gives us this contrast between the righteous and the wicked. Lord, you leave no doubt. Lord, there's no uh, lingering uh, doubts or uh, Lord, any way that we can be confused as to what you expect and, Lord, how it is that we are supposed to live. Lord, we do pray that we would be on the pathway of righteousness. Lord, that we would walk in the highway of holiness. And that, Lord, it would be manifested so clearly and evidently in our life. Lord, we do pray that you give to us our hope. Lord, that it would fill us with gladness. Lord, the hope of eternal life. And that, Lord, this hope would not be a vain hope that we have. Lord, keep us from lying and deceiving ourselves, from having a heart that is perverse, uh, that seeks to convince us, Lord, that though we walk in stubbornness, that it will go well with us. Lord, may that not be true of us, but rather, Lord, we pray that we would seek to live according to your word, and that, Lord, we would, Lord, bring much nourishment and goodness, Lord, out of our hearts and into the lives of others. Lord, be with us as we go from here today. We pray that you give us safety as we travel home. Lord, that you continue to bless us this Lord's Day. Uh, Lord, to speak to us and to commune with us. Father, as well, that you would be with us this week. And Lord, that you would help us to do your will. Lord, to walk in your ways. Lord, as well, we pray that you bring us back again together on Wednesday to study your word. And that you would continue to unfold to us, Lord, uh, truths. Lord, that we need that are necessary for our salvation and for our sanctification. So, Lord, we thank you for your goodness and kindness to us. And it is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.